Hello and welcome to the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Cummings, founder and designer of the jewellery brand Cleopatra's Bling. Each episode, we take you to meet someone whose work, study, creation or simply life ethos inspires the world of our collections. We invite you to come along on this journey as we meet the makers and thinkers whose contributions have shaped the handmade jewellery we create and the lives we live while wearing it. Imagine that your job is to arrange for thousands of people to gather over several days to dine on the best that a famous foodie city has to offer. For many, it would be a dream, but it has certainly presented some challenges to Pat Nurse, director of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, as he and his team navigated a pandemic world. This year, they ran the festival across three events in pre-lockdown March with outdoor brunching, a cosy winter edition, and an upcoming celebration of regional food in November. Like in most modern big cities, you can get all the things. You can get sushi and you can get a pizza and you can get you know, Korean food and a coffee in most of the big cities. You can get that in Naples, you can get that in Paris, you can get that in, I don't know, Santiago. But they're not great yeah. in a lot of those places, you know, whereas here, they're actually really good. With COVID having us cover up our mouths, Pat has also taken to writing more than ever. We learned about his life as a food critic and got his tips for the best easy meal. Here we are on a Friday morning in Melbourne in the Edinburgh Gardens. You can hear the lorikeets zooming around, beautiful sunny weather. We're seeing a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, aren't we? The barking of a designer dog in the distance. Designer dog. I can't talk, I have a poodle. But he's a pure breed, yeah. not a mix. None of these newfangled oodles, noodles no, and doodles. he's just a poodle. Yeah, classic. Old fashioned, French, German. So yeah, it's really nice to be here with you. We've chatted over email for a long time in the depth of the pandemic. So it's sort of surreal to be sitting here, the three of us. We're here, we actually made it. We made it. We're wearing pants, we're out of our houses. We're it's pretty out. exotic. I'm not in pajamas today. I have mascara on and I actually did my hair. Me too. Well done. So we would like to talk about the Melbourne food culture. I moved back to Australia two years ago in time for the pandemic. So I haven't actually had much time to really get into it as much as I was hoping that I would. But, you know, moving back from Turkey, Naples and Paris, where I lived for 13 years, obviously those foods I'm always going to look for here. But there's far more than that. So we wanted to talk to you about the culture of food in Melbourne, which is it still the capital of food in Australia? Yeah, un unquestionably. Having said that, I think we're really lucky to have great food all around Australia. I'm a creative director of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival now, but my background is, is journalism and I've been writing about food and drink in Australia for about 20 years, I think, and on a national basis. Like I used to work for Gourmet Traveller magazine, which took me around the world, but also around Australia all the time. So I was always traveling around the state capitals. And, you know, Sydney and Melbourne were in a pretty good state, certainly right from the get-go, but it's amazing how, I mean, not that you can walk in and get great food anywhere, yeah. but the chances are pretty good these days. You can definitely get a great meal in any state capital in Australia right now. You can definitely get a you know, fantastic glass of wine. You can get a good coffee just about anywhere now. Yeah. You know, like that is, I, I'm from Canberra and I had to go back to Canberra um, for part of this year. And I can tell you the five Ks where my parents live 
is a lot more limited than the 5Ks where I live in Melbourne. That said, you can still get a really good, independently roasted, properly made coffee. It's it's crazy. Yeah. You know, and um, and I think Melbourne's driven that for a long time. So, I mean, Melbourne has stayed at the forefront, even in these challenges, even in um, the year that we've had. You know, becoming the world's most locked down city. People are still opening things. People are still innovating. I. I came out of isolation the other day and I rode my bike down to Richmond to have a banh mi at Sarkom, which I'm almost certainly mispronouncing, but it's the banh mi shop that's run by the women who own anchovy. Gosh, that's a good sandwich. And I was riding my bike home with my girlfriend and I went past a pub in Fitzroy that had a frozen margarita window open. And I was just like, yes, yes. I'm not normally a frozen margarita at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning kind of guy on a Sunday or not, not these days, but I tell you, you've got to stop. Lockdown you know, does to, it to you though. You've got to hit that. I think, you know? yeah, that's amazing. I'm going to have to take like notes to put this in the foot, footnotes of the podcast. It'll be in the show notes, it's the as show we say notes. in podcast land. And um, I mean, and, and there's been, I don't work for Gourmet Traveller anymore, but I saw the awards that they, the award nominations they put out the other day and I looked at those with interest and Victoria got more nominations than any other state in Australia, even in the midst of this crazy lockdown stuff for new venues, for places to drink wine, to go and eat. You know, there's a lot happening here, yeah. even in the midst of all of this. And I think that that really speaks to the, the depth and richness of what we have going on here culturally. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's important to remember that despite having spent a lot of time at home, it's uh, really a tribute to the city, I think. Yeah, our creativity. Absolutely. It's not, I mean, there's sort of some, you know, Johnny's come lately in the food scene that have uh, a couple of cool restaurants and there'd be definitely places where you could have a, a fun dalliance for a weekend. But I mean, the depth of the offer here in Melbourne is pretty extraordinary, mm. you know, and it's it's real. It's 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 not just confined to a tiny group of elites who all just talk to each other. You know, there's good food across the breadth of this huge and sprawling city and there's whole pockets that just operate independently and wonderfully and separately. I mean, I've been, I've only lived here for three years myself, um, but I've been visiting Melbourne, you know, for at least four weeks a year, every year for 20 years. And I'm still finding things. I'd like yeah. to think, Olivia, that I'm reasonably well informed in these matters, but I'm still finding stuff and I'm like, wow, this place is so cool. How, and like, how long have you been here? And they're like, oh, you know, 10 years. And I'm like, how? Oh, yeah. I'm an idiot. You also, know. like, you can go quite far out of Melbourne, Melbourne, and find some wonderful things, like deep in the western suburbs, like the best Turkish Adana kebab. Which is and, where? Like, I actually have it written down, so I'm definitely going to email that to you later. Because I go north for okay. Adana. I go to Miksha. Okay. There's a, a Turkish Cypriot guy there, Ishmael Tosin, who used to have a great restaurant on Smith Street called Gigi Baba. Uh, Gigi and Baba. he does really, I mean, he's in Coolaroo, which I live in Fitzroy Northern. Coolaroo is, you know, a bit of a trek, but it's wow. entirely worthwhile. If he has his halim on, which I guess is the Turkish word for halloumi, I don't know. It's, it's very halloumi-like. Anyway, yeah. I, what I would know as halloumi. He has someone who has a, a dairy out on the peri-urban fringes of Melbourne that he goes to for the milk, and he makes this cheese fresh, and then he puts it on a on a kebab, oh, oh mate, it gosh. is really something. He's a great, and it's like next to a, it's next to a Starbucks. Yeah, you know, that's the stuff I like. That kind of unassuming venue. And his Adana is. Oof, I love Adana. I'm actually getting 
kebab stuff while I'm in the city today to cook at home. Side note, could you also, like, so for example, I always have trouble when people say to me overseas, so what cuisine do you have in Australia? You know, having lived in really traditional countries like France, Turkey, Italy, where the, the cuisine is so strong that you almost just wouldn't go outside of the cuisine. Because I feel, I feel like when I've had, I don't know, Vietnamese food in Naples, I was like, this is just a bit weird. Yeah, it's frequently terrible. Yeah, so... Rosticceria Chinese in Florence, yeah, it's like, what? Or just like Asian restaurant. Yeah. I'm like, what is Asian well, I mean, you cuisine? Said you, you said you went to Berlin. I mean, I think that was probably one of the last places I went when we could still travel. And you go to Asian restaurants there, and if it's a sushi restaurant, they also sell Vietnamese food. And if it's like a Vietnamese restaurant, yeah, they also weird. sell sushi. And it's like... What? Yeah, you know. definitely. That's what, That was my experience. So I, obviously I just got deep into the culture of the food that was local, which never disappoints. Good Turkish food in Berlin, though. Yeah, very, very, very good. So I sort of wanted to ask you, when you're overseas and people say, so what's Australian cuisine? I quickly changed the subject. <laughs> I was like, hey, what's that over there? Is that Elvis? Um, I think that apart from the food that has been cultivated and prepared here for thousands of years by the First Nations peoples of Australia. The like restaurant food, which I guess is more an area that I feel comfortable speaking about, is a work in progress. Mm. Um, you know, the restaurant culture, you know, the culture culture in this country is, you know, some of the oldest in the world, but our restaurant culture is pretty young. You know, yeah. And I think for food to develop, you need people who kind of stay in one place. Mm. for reasons of either wealth or poverty or both. You know, like the kind of regional specialties, even even other new world countries like the US and Canada, they're a bit older. They've had populations that have had to stay in one place, so they develop regional specialties. And we don't really have those in Australia, let alone so, a national we're cuisine. We're a baby. Yeah, we're a baby country, and we've been pretty wealthy for a lot of our history as well. Um, so we've been pretty mobile. The founding of contemporary Australia is pretty close to a time when it was easy to communicate and move and get around, mm. you know. So I think that it's kind of a, a mixture of cultures, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I do think we have a sensibility that we put on it. Don't, I don't think you could, like, point to a dish and go, that's Australian. Like, yeah. you can create an emoji for an Italian dish that half the world will go, Italian. that's Italian, rightly or yeah. wrongly. You know, they'll be like, that's Italian even though spaghetti bolognese doesn't exist in Italy. You know, that only exists in America because it's mixing the northern bolognese with the southern spaghetti. Exactly. You know, you, if you want to lift the lid on this, how much of Turkish food is Armenian and Syrian? Mm -hmm. You know, how much of Neapolitan food has come from France, from the influence of the Libyans, from blah, 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 blah. Peel back the layers far enough and the food of Naples is Greek. Yeah. But yeah, no, I don't think there's that instantly recognisable emoji dish and if there is it generally turns out to be from New Zealand but no. let's not give the New Zealanders the satisfaction of going <laughs> with that um, I think it's I think it's how we do things I think it's a flavor I think it's um, creativity my in yeah. coming back to Australia I've found that people will be like oh this this could be an interesting mix and Absolutely. it's not it's not purist which I think leads to interesting development of cuisine yeah and even I mean we even though we travel a lot I mean an old friend of mine called Australians the great lost tribe of Europe you don't necessarily understand this stuff until you live in a city so like I'm traveling for years and even then you take the multicultural thing here for granted yeah. you don't realize that it's actually pretty rare to live in a city where you can get 
all of these things at the standard that we get them. Like in most modern big cities, you can get all the things. You can get sushi and you can get a pizza and you can get, you know, Korean food and a coffee in most of the big cities. You can get that in Naples, you can get that in Paris, you can get that in, I don't know, Santiago. But they're not great yeah. in a lot of those places, you know, whereas here, they're actually really good. Like I remember yeah. going to London for the first time and going around the, the Chinatown there and it's a few things they do well, but man, the Vietnamese food is dreadful. Like go to the place that, I mean, it's improved since, but you know, this is the hot place to go for fur. And you think, okay, this wouldn't even be the 12th best place on one block in, in Richmond. Yeah, definitely. Let alone Footscray, you know. Mm. Um, whereas the Indian food there, much better. Turkish food, you might argue, in London. Turkish food is very better. good in London, but there's a there's a huge Turkish community. So. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we have a huge Greek community here. And how many restaurants can you point to that do really, really great Greek food in Melbourne? You know, so swings and roundabouts. That's that's a real non-answer there, Olivia. How do you like that? I feel fine about it. Great. <laughs> Pies, mate. It's pies. Pies. Oh, salad, I make a salad lot of pies. Salad sandwiches. I don't think other people have salad sandwiches. I don't think that party pies exist in other countries. Maybe in New Zealand. Well, they might just be in Australia. And I think party the halal, pies is cute. Yeah, they, I love them. I really want to eat one right concept. now. Just saying it. And I think the halal snack pack might have been invented <gasps> in Australia. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of Turks on my team, so we often get halal snack packs delivered to our dispatch <laughs> menu, and it's great. It's a it's a party. I actually found a refresher towelette from my favourite kebab shop in Berlin the other day when I was doing some tidying up. They're like, amazing. I really need to, Gel Gore I think it's called, I can't remember the name of the place. And I was like, I really have to throw this out. This is stupid. Keeping, you should keep them because totally they're great kept it. Totally kept for it. cleaning your shoes if you walk through a wet park. That's it. Um, all my Turkish friends keep them and clean their sneakers with them. Genius. So it's a little tip. The Islak Mandal, which translates to wet tissue. Islak Mandal. Can I share with you the only thing I know how to say in Turkish, and I'm almost certainly going to mispronounce it again, I'm sorry. Um, I'm a terrible monoglot. But a friend of mine went travelling in Turkey when she was a young woman, and the only thing she learned how to say was Çokayib. Çokayib, which means like big shame or like... Çokayib is really hard to translate, but ayib means shame. So if you, if for example, I offer you a cup of tea in Istanbul and it's the first time you come into my shop and you say, yok yok, no thanks, I'll be like, it's çok ayıp that you've said no to my offering of tea. And I'll be shamed into having the tea or I'll just have to leave? You probably just would have it because the social standard of drinking tea is so high there that, I mean, you wouldn't really turn down a tea. Um, especially if it's your first time, I'm showing you hospitality, it would be çok ayıp to turn it down. Her Turkish neighbour said to her, if you're a woman travelling alone in Turkey and you not, and she hadn't travelled much, this, this woman at the time, this is the one phrase that, you know, if you're getting unwanted attention, drop this oh, and yeah. people will just leave you alone. Yeah, it's because saying ayıp to someone is uh, pretty intense. It's it's a huge thing for them. So yeah, that's it's so funny you know that. It's sentence. super useful. It is. <laughs> Next time I have you over for a cup of cup of coffee in Warrandyte and you say no, I'll say chocolate. Can you teach me how to say yes? Because all, 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 all I can do, all I can say to people in Turkish at the moment is chocolate. That's shameful, which is you know useful but limited. It's pretty niche. I need yeah. All I can say in Finnish is thank you. That was delicious. And what are you looking at, shithead? Which is more than I can say in Turkish, but still <laughs> quite limited. I would say evet. 
Evet. Evet is yes. All right. See, we've all learned something today. <laughs> and thank you, that was delicious in Finnish, is kitos ola kilista. Wow. That was interesting. I, di- I didn't expect Finnish to sound like I think I might have learned that from a Finnish-Turkish chef from Helsinki. And if you think that's a whole lot of good looking, wait till you see this guy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've digressed. <laughs> we have, it's okay. So what made you become the artistic director of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival? What was that? Was that just sort of an organic transition or was it sort of a, a, a you know, you wanted to get away from writing and... Um, I think, I mean, the, the big appeal for me was that it wasn't so much about getting away from writing as expanding on it. So we do a lot of publishing at Melbourne Food and Wine Festival and it's still a big part of my job, you know, is telling the stories of, mm. of food and drink in Victoria and there's so much to talk about here. And then, yeah, I guess taking my contact and my interest and my experience in food and drink and putting that to use in other ways, I guess, in what I cringingly call uh, curation. So, yeah, coming up with events, talking to people. I mean, one of the things I really liked doing when I was a magazine editor was putting people together with a good idea that they could do something together, but not a total idea of what would happen. You know, Mm. like this person and this person and this person and this thing together. Like, I've got a good feeling, they're all good, they're all interesting, but I can't completely control what they're gonna do. So let's see what will happen. Yeah. You know, that's fun. I love that. That collaborative element, I think, is really enjoyable and rewarding. Yeah, that's the great thing about food. You just put people together and they can come up with almost anything new. Yeah. It's really wonderful. And drinks. And we have great wine in Australia too, but that's a whole... That's a Drinks of all kinds. Yeah. That's it. I mean, yeah, the distilling, the non-alcoholic drinks in, in Melbourne right now, the... The beer scene is crazy. I just, yeah. I can't even, I've just stopped trying to keep up with the beer scene. I just drink whatever people hand me now because, you know, the, the cans, the yeah, look so of things much, is so, the, so wild. I drank flavors. a really delicious no alcohol beer the other day or 1% beer. I was like, I cannot believe in my lifetime someone has invented a no alcohol beer that is totally delicious. Finally. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even know that existed. I know, I know like non-wine and all those sort mm. of um, non-alcoholic wines, which I like. They're, they actually just taste good as a drink. Yeah, like, there's been a real explosion of, um, of creativity and that stuff, and I think it's really encouraging. Yeah, I do too. So we also wanted to ask you about, like for you, the connection between social justice and food. Well, I mean... I don't want to overstate the power of food. I mean, a a dish is not a poem. You know, it's beautiful and it can be moving, but it's kind of hard to articulate nuance. And I'm I'm not also not going to say just because I have eaten Afghan food that I understand the complexities of Afghan geopolitics or the, you know, what's going on for Afghan people. That's ridiculous, Mm. you know, any more than listening to the music or appreciating the architecture of a different culture can give you those insights. But it's a lot more than nothing, and it's a start. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it's the beginning of a conversation. And I'm going to mangle a quote that I saw on Ted Lasso the other day where I think it was he was quoting Walt Whitman, the American poet, and it was something along the lines of, instead of judging, I, you know, I am curious. So the first step to knowing other people is curiosity 
Mm. You know, so if you're interested in their music or their literature or their jewelry or their architecture or the way they make soup, that's a little bit of the door opening. Yeah. And look, you know, you never, you could live in another culture for years and you could never really necessarily understand it, but it's, it's an opening. Mm. It's a beginning. So if I can share my other favorite quote from, from this year or from recent times with you, which is not from Ted Lasso, it's from the Australian novelist Shirley Hazard. She said, when you knew enough, antipathy was rarely conclusive. Mm. And I guess by that, she meant that, you know, we're all just people and we're all just doing our stuff. And sometimes stuff that looks angry or stupid or evil from the outside, you know, if you take the time to get to know the story underneath a little bit more, it might not totally make sense to you, but it might make more sense to you. So, yeah, yeah I don't want to overstate the global healing powers of, of sandwiches or pizza, but they're a lot better than nothing. Yeah, I agree. I think my experience of being overseas and getting to know people and showing interest in their culture and their, you know, no matter how different we were as, you know, me, eastern suburbs, Melbourne, person going to like the back streets of the Grand Bazaar of Turkey speaking to old Turkish artisans sitting down with them showing curiosity it never goes badly mm. the other thing is the table is a place where you put down your weapons yeah you know it's a place of vulnerability traditionally mm. in all cultures and you have to meet there in a civil way and you know you just dig into any culture of what they do and how they receive guests or how they feed each other. Like I remember staying in a, in a Riyadh in Marrakesh and they had this beautiful Arabic script on the wall that said something to the effect that I will give my guests everything, I will give them more than my children. You know, like yeah. that classic Arab hospitality thing of like everything for the guest. Yeah. Or you think about the tradition in Japan of like you never, you never fill your own glass, you know. I can never, if my glass is empty, you have to fill it. Mm. And that requires us to pay attention to each other yeah, and to attend to each other. Mm. So uh, this is not a new idea, obviously. No. You know, so yeah, if we can meet at the table, if things we can share and talk about, it's an opening. Yeah. So if you had to choose five restaurants around Melbourne. Obviously. Oh no, five. No, 55. 55, even that's hard. Yeah. Okay, you've got, you've got a week in Melbourne and you've got, this is just, this is just to give you a context that may help the, the decision making. And you've got friends from overseas and you want to give them five incredible meals that are very, very different. Where would you take them? Well, I mean, when I, this is, I've, I've actually done this, you know, I've done quite a bit of this and showing people around from other countries in, in Melbourne and Sydney and other places. And I think the Melbourne experience certainly, hopefully will be again, that venue hopping thing that mm. you can do in the city and that, that sense of discovery you have in Melbourne. I think, yeah. and you know, a lot of cities have that, but that Melbourne laneway thing is really, it's a thing because it's an enjoyable thing. You, yeah. know, you turn a corner, you go down a basement, you go onto a rooftop and you're like, check this out. And yeah. it blows their mind. You know? yeah. um, so I think a hop around the CBD would be a great place to start. You could just close your eyes and put your finger on it and start anywhere you like. You know, City Wine Shop, Romeo Lane, Leho Fook, Cumulus Inc. You could just chitta, you could just go on one block, you know. Yeah. And then, I mean, it depends where they're from. I mean, if they're from Europe, 
you know, taking them to somewhere that has a lot of really amazing Asian food is always exciting because lots of cities in Europe just don't have that. Yeah. So, you know, we could go and eat Cambodian food in Springvale or I'm really obsessed with Clayton because it's not currently within my 15 kilometers. So the regional Chinese food in Clayton is fantastic. So we could go and eat. Oh, hit it, man, hit it. Yeah, go and get I didn't some, know that. some uh, lamb or mutton skewers at uh, Showtime Barbecue. And then I guess the flip side is if they're coming from Asia, you know, if they're coming from China or, or somewhere like that, maybe we go and eat some Middle Eastern food. Yeah. Or maybe we, you know, do a, a Ligon Street crawl, you know, jam some gelato. The variety here is is wonderful. Um, and then if they're coming from Sydney, you know, go and have a drink after midnight. Do some crazy things like that. No, it's unfair <laughs> in Sydney. I think you get, I think you probably actually, it's probably easier to get a drink in Sydney after midnight than it is in Melbourne right now. But those things I think are very, very Melbourne and very um, enjoyable. And then individual venues, I mean, it's there is so much to choose from. It is really staggering. I mean, even just around here, I can't wait for Public Wine Shop to reopen. I was just on their website this morning. <laughs> yeah, Ali is a fantastic chef. I only got to have, I think, one or two bites of her food before um, lockdown came along. Cam, the owner, has a really, really has wonderful ideas about drinks. He'll, you know, sell you some cider that was picked by, you know, moonlight and, you know, made blindfolded and drink it up. Anything Cam sells, I'll, I'll pick up. I'm, I'm in love with very good falafel. I can never eat enough very good falafel. I think Shuki and Louisa make food that's always delicious. I just over and over again bowled over by the quality of the food that Roisin Call is making at Etta and the wines that um, Hannah Green pours are incredible. I mentioned anchovy before. Um, every time I go there, T. Lee's cooking is more brilliant, more elegant, more surprising. I, I, there was a plate that I had there at the beginning of this year and I think it was like heirloom zucchini and fig leaf oil and green chili. And I'm just like, I have no idea how you got here, but I'm really glad you did. Yeah. This is um, delicious. Wait, that sounds... That's more that than up. five. I'll stop there. But there's, you know, um, so many. And, you know, I'm really keen to get to Gerald's Bar, my local. Mm. You know, I think that'll be night one out of lockdown this time for me. It's been night one out of lockdown every other time. Um, what about yourself? Where, where will your first eat or drink be out of lockdown? Well, I'm actually quite near, like, the Yarra Valley. I've in, heard of it. In, <laughs> in Warrandyte. So there's a lot of places. There's actually a place that's opening up in Warrandyte. There's like a distillery that's opening up there and they're calling it like a Tuscan-inspired villa experience. Cool. So I really want to go there with a few girlfriends because it's outdoors, it's, you know, it's that beautiful Warrandyte landscape. I'll find out the name and I'll send it to you and I'll... In the show notes. In the show notes, I'll put it in the show notes. Can I make a recommendation? Yes, And it's a place please. I haven't tried, but we wrote it up on Melbourne Food & Wine, mfwf.com.au. And it's uh, the winemaker, Jaden Ong, um, who I think is also a part owner of um, Cumulus Inc., certainly one of the, the key figures when it opened. Jaden makes beautiful wine out in the Yarra Valley. And this year, uh, he's now started doing food at his cellar oh, door. Wow. And the food seems, just reading the menu, I haven't tried it, but I trust him. He makes delicious wine. The food seems really fantastic. So Jaden Ong, J-Y-D-E-N, new word, O-N-G. Great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look that up. It's probably not very far from where I am. 
Also, one thing that I'm really looking forward to, not necessarily restaurants, is just all the supermarkets where I can get all kinds of ingredients and then do a lot of cooking for friends. So, yeah, I think you can get anything in Melbourne. If you, if you go to the right supermarket, you can get any ingredient. I've lived in other cities in Australia and I, my very, and I, I've spent a lot of time in the markets in every city in Australia, and I am very firmly convinced that the food shopping here is streets ahead of anything else oh, in Australia. It's incredible. Yeah, I think the restaurant scenes in Sydney and Melbourne are comparable, like different and comparable. Melbourne's obviously better, but they're, they're pretty neck and neck. But for food shopping, for cooking for yourself, Man, like Melbourne yeah. has it all over. Melbourne, I mean, Sydney doesn't have one market like the Queen Vic, and we have Queen Vic, Preston, South Melbourne, Pran, markets, 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 and yeah. they're all wonderful. They're all places where you can also get a meal. You can get a great coffee at every single one of those. I mean, the Queen Vic has not one, but two market lanes and a Padre and a whole bunch of other places. I mean, yeah, that is that's spoiled for quality. Yeah. We're really lucky here with that stuff. I have an incredible Chinese masseuse and he has told me all about Box Hill. There's a lot going on in Box Hill. And I just think like, yeah, I think that's a, that's a whole vibe. Like obviously there's all the yum cha places, but I'm talking also about supermarkets, the markets where oh, you can yeah. get all the ingredients. I just ate the last of our stash of um, dumplings that we had in the freezer. From We loaded up between lockdowns on uh, frozen wontons and hagao and pork dumplings and things like that from uh, a shop off the side street in Box Hill. And uh, it was a sad moment. It's like, <laughs> You'll be this lockdown better end soon. Come on. I know that feeling. But yeah, I think that's one of my next destinations to explore post lockdown. It's one thing. I mean, I, I really like the neighborhood around where we're recording right now, but uh, Chinese food is not one of its strengths. No, so. this is true. Yeah, no, Box Hill's great. Also, Dandenong, there's a lot. Wonderful. A lot of Chinese food out there. And, and great apparently, Afghan food, yes. That huge bread. Apparently Afghan, that's what I've heard recently too. So I'm, I, And yeah. a bit of African stuff there as well. Yeah. So wild. I think we're going to have to do a whole article on all these recommendations with I you. I keep putting my thumbs up like we're being recorded here. If you hear me go quiet but sound enthusiastic, that's me putting my thumbs up. <laughs> the energy of the thumbs up is felt. So obviously because food is such a, you know, sensory experience and not something you can really understand unless you have it in your mouth, how do you find writing about it? How do you, how do you sort of portray the experience and emotion of a food with words? Who was it who said that writing about music is like dancing about architecture? Was that Frank Zappa? It was someone <laughs> like know. that. I don't know. There's a bit of that. It's um, a skill. It's an absolute skill, though. So I, I think you... Yeah, well, I tend to be pretty concrete in my descriptions. I like to tell the stories around the food a lot, and then when it's coming to describing what's on the plate, talk texture, talk taste. I'm actually shocked at how few... This is, my, this is one of my hobby horses for the year, Olivia. Why don't more cookbooks talk about how the food should taste? Like at the end of the recipe, there's a few. There's a few good ones that do. David Thompson's book about Thai food is a great example where all through he's like, it should taste like this. It should be sour, sweet, salty with sour dominant. Or this one should be da 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 balanced by like this but hot. And you think, okay, that's that's pretty, helpful. Super elementary, yeah. wouldn't you think? Like, and particularly for things you haven't tried. Like if you're cooking a cuisine that you haven't experienced, like I'm loving. Um, Olya Hercules uh, Ukrainian and Georgian cookbooks, but I've never been to Ukraine and I've never been to Georgia. God damn it, soon, I hope. So 
as evocative as those recipes are, like any direction, because you're eating foods that are way outside your experience. Like, is this is delicious, but is it how it's supposed to be? Yeah. It doesn't matter. I made her yeah. um, drop scones the other day, which I guess is like a pikelet. Very good. Fast. It's like really? yogurt, flour, pinch of salt, pinch of bicarb, which may or may not be necessary, into the pan, and then we dressed it with jam and yogurt, but it'd be nice with, you know, caviar if you were that way inclined, or smoked fish and sour cream. Wow. Delicious, and like five minutes. Incredible. Yeah, I feel like that's interesting to describe how it should taste, because I feel like a lot of people would in even interpret that differently. I can tell you a lot of words I don't like. I don't tell like me. all the like, dreamy, divine, heavenly, swoozy, scrumptious. Mm. I just think they're a bit lazy. Whimsical sort of way of describing food. Yeah, like, I think that the amount of effort that people put into growing food, transporting food, distributing food, selling food and cooking food, I think it deserves effort put into the way it's described or written mm. about or filmed or talked about. Yeah. You know, it's as valuable as any other human endeavour, you know. It's kind of, a, it's not optional. It's the only sort of art and culture that is completely not optional. Yeah. You could technically live without architecture, but you could not technically live without food. No, you couldn't. How did you find building a community around the festival? Was it quite easy because of the culture that exists? Well, I joined a community. Right. I mean, that was one of the, the parts that, of the job that really appealed to me. I mean, the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival will have been running for 30 years next year. Really? Um, it's, it's an internationally recognised festival. I've been coming as a guest or as a paying customer for 15 or 20 years. For me, it's been a really fast forward way to meet a lot of people, both the wonderful people I work with, but also the you know food and drink practitioners and producers around the state. People pick up the phone when you call and say, calling from the festival, which is nice. They, they want to be part of it. You know, people enjoy it. Even now, even these very challenged times, and I'm, you know, I'm coming fresh off the back of having rescheduled three festivals, you know, which is occasionally demoralizing. But even in the midst of this, even when people know the challenges that are facing events, they're still keen to be a part of it. Yeah. So I think that says a lot about what the people who put the festival together over the years, and that's Melbourne, you know, this is a community organisation. It's not like command and control. It's people from Melbourne coming together to create this. What the people who participated in this festival created, and I think it says a lot about Melbourne. Yeah. I will say this, I don't want to get too Sydney, Melbourne, but before I moved here, a lot of people said, you have to get used to a slightly different pace in Melbourne. You might not notice this as a visitor, but in Sydney, you go and you do your business. You sell what you got to sell, you talk what you got to talk. It's perfectly civil, it's perfectly friendly, but you do the thing and then you go. The kindness that I've experienced here in Melbourne has really bowled me over, whether it's been professionally or just from my neighbours. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I have great relationships with all my neighbours. We had cookies put in our um, letterbox recently and it just said lockdown cookie with a little love heart. That is amazing. And I just thought that is so sweet. My, my neighbour uh, over the road from me, Di, was saying she and I have, have a shared love of uh, Molokia, you know, the Egyptian mallow leaf. She's like, her family won't eat it. And she's like, we have to have some of this together soon. I'm like, I am so down for that. That is so nice. We live just up the road from us in Warrandyte. We have the owner of Bubka. Oh, wow. So sometimes we come home 
and there's just a box of like 15 croissants at, the <laughs> at our front door and or egg bread or the you know so many things good letterbox yeah we're, we're pretty lucky so i made recently some lime so south indian lime pickle because mm. my mum and dad's lime tree produces so much that you can't do anything except we should talk because whenever I go to have margarita parties, the price of limes goes through the roof. So we sh we can. Their tree is honestly gangbusters, like constantly producing. Um, the address so will be in the show notes. <laughs> my parents will just have people rocking up for bags of limes, and yeah, so I'm going to take them over some lime pickle, and I just love that community vibe. Actually, one of my friends lives in Moradite, and the other day I got home, and there was just a full bag of mustard greens just at my door. Oh, just wow. fresh from her garden. Yeah, I'm moving, that's it. You should come sorry, to Warrandite, everyone. Sorry, 3068, it, the, the jig's up. Even through my business, the community of our customers, no one's been annoying about writing to say, why haven't I received my order already? You know, people are extremely understanding that we're limited in our capacity because we can't work in the same place, so it's slower, but we don't get people pushing us. So I, I feel like that's been like quite a humbling experience being in Melbourne even though it's been tough yeah. I haven't found I haven't found my irritation has come from the community no do you know what I mean it's, I, I know exactly what you mean yeah I found that the everyone's brought together through this hardship which yeah. I think is a, is a tribute as well to us Melburnians so obviously I'm interested in the future of this festival because it's been postponed and I was so keen to come this year can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, next year's program at this point, if yeah, you know absolutely. anything yet? No, and we're, we're, we're coming out swinging. So, amazing. Um, our plans are to stage three festivals next year. Um, we'll do a March festival taking in the World's Longest Lunch, which is you know one of the festival's signature events, um, World's Longest Brunch, which is a new signature, and a handful of other events that are sort of more suited to March weather. A big activation will be a winter festival, which will be focused on Melbourne, July, August. You know, we're still finalising those dates. And then we'll field a regional festival in the spring, probably in November. So wow. it's an action-packed year. And we've got quite a few things in and around those, those tentpole festivals as well. So there is no rest for the wicked. But if you like food and drink in the state of Victoria, we have a lot for you. That's incredible. I actually have a friend who's from Mildura and his family, he's Italian. Um, Italians in Mildura? Yeah. What? <laughs> and his family farm is part of the festival and I came across it by chance. So they, I think they hold a lunch there or something with their produce, so. What a great town. Yeah. The dried fruit then from, the citrus. Uh, Mildura. The citrus is one of the like um, the table grapes. The muskets those, and yes, things. Wow. Oh man, I can't remember the brand. There's this brand from Mildura. It's like they come in a brown paper. I'm pretty sure that's fairly... my friend's oh, well, brand. Their um, muskets and things. Wow. Sorry, muscatels. I beg your pardon. They are that it. My yeah. friends, that it. So amazing. Well, when we open our flagship store here in Melbourne, I'll invite you because we're going to have. Cheese from Giorgio at That's Amore. Oh, fantastic. With a honeycomb. big festival friend. Yes, he is a friend of mine. Lovely man, beautiful cheeses. And also honeycomb from Nick Dow's. Uh, at Honeyfingers. Honey, Honeyfingers, a friend of mine who taught me beekeeping. And Spurrell Foraging in South Warrandyte, who I've recently interviewed. They have an incredible foraging ingredient 
business. I don't know if you've heard of them, but I'm going to send you over the details. Also honeycomb from them, and they do beautiful relishes with native ingredients. Fantastic. Yeah. And margaritas from using limes from your family tree. <laughs> yes. I have a great recipe. Tommy's margaritas, you make them on the rocks rather than up. Yeah. Use agave rather than uh, triple sec. Delicious. Okay, great. It well, is the well, best drink known to man. Okay, you're on. Well, thank you for your time today. I'm glad we could reschedule. So happy the weather held out and it was sunny. What a pleasure, Olivia. Thank you so much and for having me. You're welcome. And we'll see you probably at the opening, otherwise also at the festival. mfwf.com.au <laughs> And how can people find you who are listening? It's your Instagram handle. My Instagram handle is uh, patnose, so P-A-T-N-O-U-R-S-E. I'm on TikTok, but I've never posted. Okay. But I think this week might be the week. I've never posted know? either, and I'm sort of, yeah, it's not drawn to it. But maybe I need to. I don't know. Get with I will, the times. Book talk is the thing that has me interested. You know, like books are now a big thing on uh, on the TikTok, and I'm like, I could take a run at that. Oh, I'm into that. amazing! You should you should do a whole feature on cookbooks. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Pat on the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. For more information on Pat, follow him on Twitter at Pat Nurse, spelled N-O-U-R-S-E. And be sure to check out the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival's upcoming regional edition. To see how I've been inspired by the rich culture of food, check out the buckless earrings made from juicy beaded grapes or the Süt Misir necklace inspired by some of the iconic street food of Turkey. This podcast was produced by Zoltan Fecho and the Cleopatra's Bling team with original music by Cameron Alva. If you liked the show, share it with a friend and leave us a few stars on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're signed up to the newsletter on cleopatrasbling.com to keep up with the newest updates on all things Cleopatra's Bling. Next time on the Cleopatra's Bling podcast... Learning languages keeps your brain active, keeps mm. your brain young when you, when you age. The main benefit from learning languages that I think exists is that every language offers you a different window to the world. Until next time, stay curious. Mm.